Hey everybody out there, how you doing? Welcome back to Humans Aren't Robots. I'm your host Sam Davies and if you missed the first episode of this season I'll just give you a quick recap of where we're at. Uh, we're trying something a bit different in this season and what you're about to hear is a mashup of some different conversations I recorded last year at South Start. Every episode is centered around a theme and something that's close to my heart and something that we've been touching on over the last four or five years of doing this podcast. There were some incredible conversations to be had last year at South Start and for all of you that are in Australia and able to get on a plane, the next iteration of South Start starts in just a couple of weeks. This is a, a festival of ideas and conversations around tech, startups, innovation, the future of business, creativity. It really is a mashup of, of different people and ideas and has been so inspirational to me over the last uh, five years that we've been involved, or four years that we've been involved. That is happening here in Adelaide. Uh, we've also got the Fringe on at the moment. There's a, there's, a lot, there's a lot going on, which is so nice after the last couple of years of uncertainty and craziness in the world. In this episode, I speak with five incredible women, Sally Ann Williams, Laura Kaplan, Katrina Dunn, and Sarah Nola. That's actually four. Um, I can't count the same. And we touched on the issue of diversity in the workplace. This is something that I think about a lot and something that running my own business for the last 10 years, I've really had to, to think about in terms of, you know, on the ground practical realities, not some sort of big fluffy picture thinking around what diversity means, but actually dealing with it in the workplace and, and not necessarily uh, talking about gender or race um, or religion, but even, even subtle things. And it was a really interesting conversation. And I think that we touched on some, some different areas. Um, Sarah Nola is from America originally, um, and she you know, is, is new to Australia and working in the ag tech space and the rural space. And she had some really interesting insights. I think towards the end you hear her say, I'm a young female American working in tech and agriculture, so people don't really know what to do with me. Um, and she had, some, she had some great takes on uh, how to deal with diversity and how to, I, th I think more importantly, just around how to deal with diversity. I don't like how that sounds. How to have how to build better conversations and how to build a more human approach to having different people from different backgrounds come together and work together you know, to build something great or to do, to do whatever it is we're trying to achieve in, in, our own, in our own sphere. So let's dive in today and we start off the conversation with Sally Ann Williams talking about diversity. been talking about people with different narratives right in the workplace that they're coming from different cultures or different backgrounds or whatever it may be and trying to foster conversation at a nuanced level without polarization i think scientists have a, a very good knack of being able to hold something as true until it's proven otherwise right or do you disagree with that? You haven't been to a physics conference, <laughs> have you? I haven't been to a physics conference. So you go to any academic conference in any field yeah. and they will stand there and there will be a ditch that they will have. Yeah, be, yeah, I sure. will die on this hill over this thing. I'm going to just sit back and eat popcorn and watch you two fight it out. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of theoretical work in the sciences where people are just very passionately engaged in it. So we definitely don't have it perfect yeah. and we definitely don't listen to enough, enough to each other. And there's some disciplinary hierarchy. So, sure. you know, where people were like, oh, why would we ever believe those? people over there are behavioural scientists. They're not real scientists. I'm like, no, sorry, newsflash, they are. There is some tensions in science. But yes, it should be that you step back and you actually engage. But I, I think sometimes this notion of truth and actually truth-seeking is probably, again, a divisive thing in and of itself. When I think about 
different cultures and, and religious belief is a really great one. I have absolutely no problem with people of multiple faiths coming together and I and my friend group are a multiple faith group mm -hmm. and yet we can come together and have the most amazing and rich conversations based on our differing perspectives and differing values but respectful and so respectful and honouring of each person because we value the individual and the person, yes. who they are and the relationships that we have together. And I personally think that the conversational element is, is what's so important there. So trying to move past certain ignorance, right? People will be frightened to ask something of, of say, some, a Muslim or, you know, of a Hindu. Like, I don't know, so I'm scared, as opposed to... Whereas, you know, generally, me personally, I've, I've travelled a lot. It helped me, like, tear down some of the reality bubble that I grew up in. But I think... People are very open to telling you about the things that they're passionate about and that they believe. Politics is like this right now and it just drives me bonkers. We're spending too much time talking about conservative or left-wing yeah. views and I'm like, I really couldn't care less. I've voted below the line my entire life in this country. But, and actual policy as opposed to just, as opposed to a party. I think people are actually really tired and exhausted by the narrative of I'm right, you're wrong. No one wins in that narrative. No. And we don't need to be, well, there's no winners. Does it matter if we're right or wrong? How about we just go, what's the common goal and objective that we want to get to? And I think there's actually a lot of commonality, right? If we come back to it, a base element, the core things that we all want is to be safe, secure, have a roof over our head, have food on the table, have an opportunity to have employment, preferably in meaningful work, but we don't yeah. all have that luxury of oh. purpose, um, you know, but people want those commonalities. So how do we do that equitably? And how do we do that? Maybe some people maybe don't want to do that equitably, <laughs> but, you know, how do we engage about, if I think about just purely in Australia right now, how do we engage in a way that uplifts for everybody? Sure. Um, because it's the minute we get into a decision that's binary and we're like, it's either this or this, we've actually already come out with the worst outcome. Yeah, I agree. Because the, 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 the best outcome is never a binary one. It's somewhere in the haze in the middle and then the haze in the middle is the discussion and the learning opportunity. Yeah, and where new things can grow, absolutely, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I had just finished this development curriculum and I was with a global cohort of people and we bonded over our shared vulnerabilities and dreams. And about six months earlier, I'd just come back from the Social Enterprise World Forum at the United Nations in Ethiopia and a bunch of people at South Start were there as well. And I remember it convening this delegation from around the world and all of these different people united around a common goal to advance social enterprise and like they were solving things like global poverty and overconsumption and forced migration and the juxtaposition of at that time in May in the US George Floyd a black man was killed by Derek Chauvin a white policeman in Minnesota USA and that was really important for me to to contemplate on because not only were my American friends scared and angry but I also found myself going back to memories of my childhood in country Western Australia and feeling the impact of racism on me as a young Asian woman at the rise of One Nation. And so what felt irreconcilable was how can we be undergoing this rapid technological and cultural progress, but at the same time, so prolifically seeing justice, injustice and inequality in our society. So the question that we had this morning was, can we unify humanity and should we? My intention for exploring it was not to solve the problem in an hour or even like relitigate all the myriad solutions that are already out there. It was really just to represent people to that question and take something for themselves, their communities and the institutions in which they have influence. So that was the question this morning. Nice. And so
throughout that conversation. And I mean, I suppose it is a large thing to think about for, for an hour, right? But during the panel and, and some of the questions that you got from the audience, was there, was there anything that came to fruition for you thinking about it? So to, to give you context, the question that we also posed was like, why are we even asking the question? And the two things that came up were, well, because humanity is in an existential crisis with climate change, right? We've got nine years to go until the UN SDGs theoretically due in 2030. And in order for us to actually survive as a species, we need to coordinate on a global level. And we know we've done that before because we've done that with CFCs, but can we do it now with all of the political division? And so at the level of consciousness, there's an argument that we need to unify humanity so that we can transform and integrate our fears and differences so that we can actually experience our destiny of like collective joy and love and peace as a species. And when you think, okay, so what's the origin of that as our nature? We promote inner stillness and peace as a way to get access to our essence and our being. And so if it is our nature, and if you don't believe in that, our existential need to do this, then why do we see so much division in black and white, rich and poor, globalization and nationalism? I think it's really important for us to balance all of the lenses that it, it evokes. So we explored it from the lens of the personal. How can we unify humanity or the outer world if we can't unify the inner world? Let's look at the tensions in between relationships and cultures and then the post-personal, and that means technology and institutions and governments. How can we unify humanity when the very systems that we have actually give rise to injustice? One of the key learnings for me is each speaker, so Christine Owenell in Nashville said, no, we shouldn't unify humanity. Chris Kwong from the Red Cross in Adelaide said, yes, we should, from the lens of the interpersonal. And Steve from Melbourne said, maybe. And when you unpacked their answers even more so, it made a lot of sense why they would disagree because from the lens that they're sourcing their answers from, Christine's argument is for her and her background is across intelligence, investment management, and then transformational coaching. When you're looking at the word unity, it inspires homogeneity and uniformity and actually a key right of ours is to fully self-express our personality and perhaps unity is a pressing of that. And in the tension in between opposites is where the energy of possibility lies and that's a really big part of who we are when we're exploring the human spirit. So we ought not crush that with unity. And seemingly that contradicts what Chris is saying from an interpersonal perspective because he's saying actually yes, because if you ask the question for what purpose, why are we here? We're not just here to survive as a species, we're here to live and what is it that gives us life? It's our relationships with each other. And so when we set them all out individually. It seems like these disparate topics have absolutely nothing in common, but once you start to unpack them, you can see these textures have a lot more in common than we think. And actually it's important for us to look at both the macro and the micro when we're inquiring about something as big as this. It's really interesting, the idea of having unity and diversity, right? Diversity in unity, being unified, but still allow, still having diversity. A lot of the stuff we've been talking about today, I mean, I've got a lot of things going through my head now. Like we, we I've been talking, this, this morning we are talking about ag tech, right? And we are talking about farmers and technology and communities embracing or having to deal with new ways of thinking, new ways of learning, new ways of living, different labor, right? And, and this being a difficult conversation to have, I think. Across all of these topics, we're confronted with things that are new narratives, right? And new, are new ways of us thinking. It feels like a lot of, and what we're talking about here in terms of how do we unify everybody, right? Let alone, you know, farmers and technology. 
it really comes down to communication and understanding the deeper element of, of what we're talking about, as opposed to just that surface level. A lot of what it's, it feels like a lot of the polarization that happens is happening in the world. And it feels like we're becoming more polarized and maybe that's technology. Maybe we can talk about that, but it's at a kind of surface level and it, it isn't at that deeper level of humanity. I know we were talking last night about, you know, what does connect us as humans, right? But how do we get past that sort of surface tension that seems to be sitting there? You know, the, the other, you're different. I love this question because for two reasons, it's very topical. I've encountered both of these conversations outside of this TP literally moments earlier. So for background, I actually grew up on the land. So my family's in agricultural aviation and my father was spraying wheat and lupins and, and whatnot. And that's obviously needing to be looked at as an industry because we know now that pesticides are not good for our crops. But when we think about the shared narrative, one of the conversations I was having was with a farmer. So he was a, a corporate and then went back on the farm for you know various reasons. And he's having this discussion with his father around their shared narrative about what it means to be a farmer. They are creating sustainable technologies on their farm and their farming practices. And for him, it's for the sustainability of the planet. But for his father, it's about making more money. And there seems to be this disconnect between their two narratives. And I almost unpick that in two ways. The first one is from a pragmatic perspective. When you're trying to run the farm, does it really matter whether your ideologies align? If the practices have the end outcome of your shared vision of the farm's succession, then you can put those things aside. But then the deeper question is, like, why does it matter that we connect with the other thing? The other conversation I had earlier today that relates to this point is a young man was talking to me and my panel afterwards, asking the question, how can we have opposite opinions without being shouted down or cancelled? And his example was affirmative action. And he was in a group of people who were talking about the benefits of affirmative action. And his response was, actually, there are some dark sides to affirmative action because some people, for example, and I'm paraphrasing, may have had access to an education at Harvard through affirmative action. And affirmative action does that because it says you're not noticed just for your skin or your sexuality or religion, you're noticed for your talents. And then the opposing view to affirmative action is, well, actually, we want to see you for your talents, not just the fact that you got in because of these criteria. It's interesting. There's a couple of things I kind of want to unpack there. The farmers, the, the father and the, and the son, right? If the end outcome, one's driven by economics, one's driven by ethics, right? Let's say, right? So to, if the outcome is positive for everybody at the end of the day, does it matter what the driving force is, whether it's ethics or economics? Do you know what I mean? I, I feel like a lot of around climate change in particular, like a lot of it has been branded probably by corporate or whatever, it's to be the, the green movement is seen as kind of anti-economic and, and not necessarily good for people's wallets. But if we can brand it as being, well, it doesn't matter what it is, but you know what I mean? If we, if, if we can rebrand the positive to seem beneficial to some people, does it matter what their intention is as long as it's the, the end outcome is positive? I think culture is the shared beliefs and attitudes of a civilization that gives it a sense of vitality. So the things that bring us joy, because if one of the panelists said, well, actually, he thought about it more as we're not just unifying, if we want to say that as a species in order to survive, we're here to live. And culture is what gives our interpersonal relationships and interactions that breath of vitality. And if we have those symbols, those traditions, those ways of interacting with each other that's honourable and inspiring, to me that sends like 
this surge of joy through me and wouldn't you want to perpetuate the joy because what does money buy you many people would say happiness right so the end game is the same so yeah to me it's what gives a community or civilization reason for living I, I agree with, I think that's sort of basically what my definition would be as well like it's a, a group shared you know, values and beliefs, right? But at the moment we have problems with cultures clashing, right? How do we unify a reality where there may be significant conflict? How can we unify the outer world when we've disclaimed a lot of parts of ourselves? It is not irreconcilable, those seemingly different cultures, because now's really the time for us, given so much knowledge and exposure, snapshot of these people's lives, we define them and we reject them and then we create a whole story about that kind of person. We even have words for it. And... I think there's something really powerful in being able to both pity those you can't relate to and hate and as well as pity those that you think are needy because it's that compassion you can apply universally. That compassion, like you said before, often stems from the self, right? From that fear of what is within ourselves and seeing that externalized by someone else is where that comes from as opposed to seeing as yeah, so, you know, I have compassion for whatever is driving this person to act in this certain way, right? Rather, yeah. rather than putting judgment straight onto it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I kind of liken it to my time at Grameen. And I just remember working with scavengers on a dump site in Sam Reap and then the next day being in Hong Kong with a billionaire philanthropist. And so you've got these two very different people. But when I talk to them, there's so many similar... They laugh at the same things. They gossip about the same things. They're scared of the same things. So... There's not much in it except, of course, the content and context of your life is very different. And somebody who's very poor obviously has a level of suffering that we should not be tolerating. And knowing that when you're talking to someone, just because they have a label or a title, or it doesn't make them any less human. And when we dehumanize people, whether for their, the things that we're jealous of, the things we find contemptuous, that's when we lose our own humanity. That comes back to that nuance that we were sort of talking about before around like affirmative action or anything we want to talk about. So the rich versus poor, right? We immediately putting a judgment on whatever it is and not allowing there to be gray area in between is part of this problem. And I think the bigger part of the problem is that we have such a wealth inequality between rich and poor. There's studies shown that the more equal the society, the better the outcomes for society as a whole, the less equal the society, like the USA, the worse the outcomes are for everybody as a whole, including the rich. And what's really interesting about this is that create something called a social distance. The more that you can't relate to somebody, there's this level of social evaluative threat and then you start to have status anxiety and all of these ills that before people who are suffering not from sickness but really the shame of low status, that starts to get played out. So the more that we can reduce the status difference, the more that our overall societies can then start to go, hey, I relate to you, hey, I have empathy for you, hey, I no longer can justify harming you because you're like me. That's a big question to dive into. How do we unify humanity and should we? Mm. Which is a big question. Different cultures, different viewpoints and does unity means homogenization or does it mean people being able to coexist with different kind of views and opinions on how things should work but have that kind of unifying kind of sense of something that's holding us together i find in a small business 12 people in my business that's a challenge there so at a broader societal level it's a big question 
What do you think, especially in the startup world, what do we need to do as leaders to bring people together? I think sometimes community can be mistaken to mean everyone should feel included and everyone should be part of that community. I think the reality is there are communities for different kinds of people and that homogenous viewpoint sometimes characterises community, but it's more about a shared identity or a shared understanding as opposed to a homogenous viewpoint. If you feel like you belong in a place where people think differently to you, then that's actually the, the kind of value and spirit of that community. But then there are other communities where it's like, we all believe this and that is what makes um, you know this community special. So being excluded from that community is more about where those worldviews differ and the, the intention of that community is to particularly focus on that worldview. The belonging piece and the inclusion piece is actually what matters more. If somebody feels uh, aligned to a community, then how do we create a sense of belonging that is beyond the transactional side of things and more around the shared identity and contribution that people can make and what they then receive from the community as well. So we're not really having those kinds of conversations when we use the word community right now. It more means a group of people assembled around a particular event or a particular idea, but it's still got this transactional overtone as opposed to a really embedded and evolved community. Is that mission, purpose, these kinds of words that, that inform that? A lot of these events end up being here's a bunch of people who are going to tell you what they think and that's the end of it. The interactions that people are having and the discussions that are occurring outside and in the corridors are more important than anyone's particular viewpoint or the star of the show, you know? We talked about inclusivity a little bit before. I'm interested in those voices that may not get hurt. Often it's not a case of them necessarily be sort of being sort of subjugated, but mm-hmm. it ha- it's, it's not feeling comfortable to have the, the space to be able to speak up, to have mm-hmm. that platform. How do you feel like we can create safer places in yeah. Feeling like they belong and are being addressed. Simple changes that they made years ago around the website where there were actually no images of women, for example. That, again, extends to intersectional kind of elements of diversity. Can people see themselves in the material that you're producing and hear themselves in the words that you're using? That's really important to create that belonging, that sense of belonging or that sense of an invitation. But I also believe that there is there's a deafness and a blindness that isn't almost, in some senses it can't be helped because we are very unconscious people most of the time in business environments. We're very busy people, we're very overwhelmed people and we are always pattern matching for things that we recognise and things that we agree with or identify. Somebody who's muscled their way into a space can not necessarily feel included but feel confident enough to say something or insert themselves in the situation and still not be heard in the way that they really need to. So we're still unpacking that and I felt like that in this, as I was saying, in in this investment world with my kind of right-brained thinking, the way I think about founders, the way I think about businesses and to articulate those thoughts to people who are completely rational, left-brained, thinking about the numbers only and you just see their eyes glaze over and they're not trying to ignore me but they can't hear what I'm saying in the same way. So that's almost that right brain, left brain, learning how to communicate to audiences that think differently to you. But that, again, takes a lot of work and the onus is then on you. Feel like you can connect with them. Who's the onus on that? Who's got the most to gain? It's the person who's excluded. In the short term, it's the person who's excluded. In the long term, it's the people who are missing out on that huge insight and different skill set that they could have. The unconscious bias piece is really tricky to deal with. So I've had to deal with it in our office Mm. a few times in the last couple of years where somebody's come in from a a different culture, Mm. a different way of thinking, Mm. a different worldview, a different way of working Mm. in a similar field like software development and had come to me with saying, I I don't feel like my voice has been heard Mm. in this. And then me going and talking to the other person and, and then just feeling like well their work's not good enough but, and trying to have the conversation around there's other things that play here that you're not understanding and, and that you're not being empathetic to or you're not being under, you're not being sympathetic or understanding mm-hmm. about that you need to consider yeah 
it's difficult to get people to see things that they can't see. Yeah. And you can't you don't you don't see what you don't see. Exactly. There's a view which is if every community of every company is a community and that's the particular way that they see things, then is that for your benefit to expand that thinking and increase that diversity. But it's also if that's not part of the culture, that's why people have difficulty staying and they'd go somewhere else where they do feel included. It's definitely a journey of self discovery that people are only at the beginning stages of, I think. Yeah, and it's hard work. It's work that you have to do. That's right. It's going to be confronting, I mm-hmm. think, as well. Mm-hmm. It's less efficient. We don't get things done as fast. We don't get them done the way that we're used to seeing them look. So it takes a lot of patience for a company to go on that journey, probably when what they're trying to do is deliver outputs and get sure. the job done and all that sort of stuff. I feel like I'm in a bit of a bubble because I'm personally interested in freedom and curiosity of values that I that I hold close. I think my team's probably sick of me talking about it, right? But like, And I talk to a lot of people who have similar values mm-hmm. as leaders leaders and that's great when we attract people that are open to that but yeah. you know, more traditional businesses it's tricky to come in and change a culture it's mm-hmm. tricky to come in and change people's way of thinking when something's been happening in a certain way i suppose there's a transition period here mm. where it's going to be jagged and rocky every new person that you add to the culture kind of changes the shape of the organism and then you have to recalibrate the whole thing every time but we're not used to doing that we're more used to getting people stuck to the side of the ship and kind of continuing to move forward just hang on and until you feel like you have to let go because you don't fit but yeah, I think more interesting things will happen when we can be a bit more self-determining as individuals in the workplace and, and kind of come and go and lean into what feels right and then just do other things when it feels wrong, all that sort of stuff. I actually think around sort of agency mm. and thinking about, I think for leaders to make themselves vulnerable enough that they, their teams can feel comfortable to, to, to ask them for things. Yes. To, to, they want to impact change to feel comfortable that, you know, for in a hierarchical organisation that that's possible. Yes. But you want the team actually speaking up and That's saying right. this isn't right like mm-hmm. we want to or, or, or it doesn't have to be big things and be like hey we want to do something a bit differently yeah yeah Definitely. And that's where, you know, the hierarchical way things have been structured or, you know, experience weighing more than new insights. Like we're, we're kind of, it's really uncomfortable because you've got people who are newer, younger, with different levels of experience, having different insights around ways to do things, but there are also gaps in their knowledge. So how do we get this kind of expertise infused with new ways of thinking and get that balance right and that's really tricky because everyone has to kind of suspend belief a little bit in the trusted way of doing things combined with the unknown new pathway that we might pursue like in agriculture in particular how are you received when you're the new guy in town in a regional community or you're the person that doesn't look like everyone else there and you're coming in to do a new job just how are you received and I think that's a conversation we're not having enough because a lot of the um, there's this like yeah we need to create new jobs and new skills and bring people in but regional communities at first can be sort of outsider versus insider dynamics and so yet they need that talent and need those skills and once you meet them they're absolutely lovely but it's not an easy thing to just show up and be the new person that builds the robots so there's a lot of I think human transition and like psychology to deal with in in all industries where where did you grow up if you don't mind me asking California in California Uh, like on the land or were you no I grew up in Silicon Valley um but we we had a hobby farm um up in northern California where I spent a lot of time uh as a teenager so and then yeah 
ended up on farms kind of in my early 20s in South America. Yeah, nice. I was, I was just interested, I suppose, because you've got sort of a, a computer science background, mm -hmm. yeah? Um, you know, like coming from like MIT to rural Australia is kind of a bit of a culture shift, yeah? Yes, yes. Yeah, it has been. In some ways, I'm pretty at home in like regional communities. I don't know if it was growing up on the farm there. I spent a lot of time in in different small towns in America for like camping and hiking and, and soccer and all the things I was doing. So um, pretty comfortable in that environment, but definitely um, people ask me like, oh, you're a young woman in technology and agriculture. Like, what's that like? In some ways, I think being young and female and American and techie, I'm like so far out there that they don't know what to do with me. And so it's like interesting and curious instead of any kind of Unknown pushback, entity. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I'm really lucky. Or maybe I'm just drawing a blind eye to it. But I definitely like some of the women on my team, and we've told this story before, um, maybe are women of color and they've had really different experiences. And I don't think it comes from a place of anything other than perhaps ignorance or lack of experience, but definitely push back more on the racial end of things that we've seen in agriculture. And that's been um, really tough to see. And as a leader, like, how do you create a safe space for those conversations and make sure we address them and push back on anything that needs to be called out in terms of bad behavior, but also know that it doesn't necessarily come from a place of bad intention and maybe is more around education and familiarity. But yeah, regional Australia can be pretty white. And so that probably is more of the challenges I've seen, although not experienced personally. I'd love to just touch on that quickly, because I think as a leader, that's actually a really difficult challenge to sort of navigate because I, and I, I felt that in my own business as well. And, I, and I've haven't felt that it's come from a place of malice, but it's still difficult to navigate. How do we go about in a position where yeah, potentially somebody is being ignorant or, you know, mm. even potentially rude and they it may, may not be conscious of it? How do you, how do you as a leader go about it? Yeah, I can tell a story and this, it's such a benign example. We showed up on a farm and I was with my colleague and, and she's Chinese of Chinese descent, she's Chinese Australian. And the son of the farmer, we walk in and, and he's like, oh, hi, um, are you are, are you Indian? And like, it's just absurd to ask a Chinese person if they're Indian, but he'd probably never met someone who was Chinese and like, fair enough. And she's like, no, um, I'm not, I'm Chinese. And he's like, cool, want to play Lego? Right? Like it just couldn't have been a more benign conversation. But then for me, it's like, do I just laugh? Do I ignore that? Do we have, so I obviously asked her like, how did that make you feel? Like anything you want to talk about? And I think that was the, hopefully a, a helpful answer and just making sure there was a place to talk about that and to call it out and acknowledge that it had happened and might've made her feel good or bad, but let's speak about it. So that's um, where I start with that one. I mean, he was an eight year old, so there wasn't really an sure. action with him, <laughs> um, but it got me thinking about this because it's, it's not the first and only time. Yeah. And I think, for me personally, like being this white privileged guy, I find it, you know, really like actually difficult to, to try and navigate myself. I think that we've had people come into the business from different places in the world, but I think coming into Australian culture sometimes, even if, even if you're, you know, white, for example, but it's still just a, such a different culture in, in the workplace mm. that you feel quite sort of outside yeah. without being kind of a strong character and sort of, you know, pushing your way into the, the culture, you often find yourself sort of on the, on the edges. Yeah. And I don't know where it's asking the question is, is one thing, but whether it's not, we actually need to get our teammates to sort of have that softer approach and, and be conscious of the fact that, Hey, maybe this is hard for someone to come in. Hi, it's Sam here again. Thank you so much to Sally, Lauren, Katrina, and Sarah. If you want to find out more about them, you can jump into the show notes. If there's anything that we touched on that you'd like to hear more about, please do reach out. Um, anywhere you can find me or, or us at uh, the Humans Aren't Robots, Digital Noir, or, or Sam Davies, um, feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to have these conversations um, online or face-to-face. -face. If you are coming down to South Start, we'll be there so we can have the conversation in person. South Start, again, is running in Adelaide from 
oh my gosh, the 9th to the 11th of March. Um, so just a couple of weeks away. Really, really, really highly recommended uh, if you want to get a big ultra dose of inspiration um, into your life. So we'll see you there. And until then, see ya.